to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Masonian Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you've joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. So Sarah Masoni, I would like to publicly thank you for supporting all of us entrepreneurs. We know that you do it all the time, but our last guest, it was so exciting because as we were getting her ready for the show, you um, not only were like, yeah, we're going to tell your story, but then you're like, and I'm going to make a purchase from you. And so you purchased from a lot of us makers some gifts for gift baskets for the OSU board. Yep. Well, I just wanted to thank you for that because I think one of the things that I love the most about you is that not only do you help us all get through all of these turbulent times, but you also support us. So you didn't have to buy these things for your board, but you did. And, um, and it was all local female makers. And so I just wanted to say, thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's the best way to spread the word about us to other people. So thank you. Yeah. It's for the board of trustees. They're touring the food science department and then having a meal in the, um, pilot plant because there's a big campaign that's being kicked off for funding and stuff like that through the university. So Food science department has big stuff on the horizons. That's super exciting. Are they, has it happened yet or it's this week? Um, It's Thursday this week, um, October 27th. Very cool. Well, I'm excited for you to hang with all of them. I'm excited to hear what the new things are. Yeah, exactly. It'll be great. Perfect. Well, we want to also thank our sponsor for supporting Masonian Marshall. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the best small women entrepreneurs we can find. Let's hear a word from our sponsor, Market of Choice. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local entrepreneurs, so much so that we carry more than 7,000 locally made, raised, farmed, and harvested foods in our stores. Our passion is to help local makers, farmers, ranchers, and fisher folk realize their potential through programs that help them succeed. Thank you, Market of Choice. As always, thank you, Market of Choice. We love you. I am super excited to welcome our guest today. Uh, we are we would also like you to meet Kat Fields White. Kat wears many hats as a farmer's market manager in San Diego. She also is a writer, teacher, business builder, podcaster, anti-racist, and created the Farmer's Market Pros Conference, where I have been lucky enough to attend for the last few years. Welcome, Kat. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hi. Hey, Sarah. It's Sarah Square. 
I like it. Yeah. Yes. Two Sarahs. I know. I'm so excited. This is the first time that you two have ever met. I have been with Kat lots of times over the years, um, but I'm so glad that you guys get to be on the show together because you're my two favorite ladies. Oh, very exciting. That's cool. Well, Kat, we want our listeners to be able to find you on Instagram and online. So if you want to just shout out how they can do that, that would be helpful. It's uh, Cat Fields White and Cat has two T's. That's the tricky part. If you're looking for me personally, it's C-A-T-T, Fields White. Um, but probably the easiest way to get there is to either go to catwhite.com. Again, two T's, maybe not the easiest, or to farmersmarketpros.com. And if you go to farmersmarketpros and click consultant, you will land with me. But before that, you'll wade through a website full of wonderful things for food makers that are interested in farmers markets. Perfect. Well, I kind of want to just start at the beginning because there's parts of your story that I don't know. So I just wanted to know how you started your farmer's market life. Where did that begin? Well, I was a serial entrepreneur um, for many, many years. And I started out as a food writer. And then I was a marketing consultant that had all restaurant clients. And then I was a construction project manager for a company that built restaurants. And then I was a turnaround consultant for restaurants. And after one of those jobs, the uh, we explained to the guys that they needed to keep their coffee house open regular hours and not to park their motorcycle in the ladies room, but to put the motorcycle outside so that the ladies room was accessible to customers. And they said, how about instead of paying your fee, we just give you the restaurant. So owned a restaurant for quite some years. Uh, All my kids grew up working in restaurant and retail. It was awesome. Uh, What do we do after that? I had a publication after I sold the restaurant, a trade magazine for independent restaurants um, so that they could learn all the things that I had had to muddle through. And then I moved from Phoenix, which is a very car culture kind of place, to downtown San Diego after my kids all grew up and moved out and found that I could do anything I wanted to on foot there except shop for groceries because there were all kinds of wonderful restaurants and things in Little Italy, which is uh, between downtown and the airport in San Diego. But there was no grocery store. A couple of little Italian delis. Man does not live by calzone alone. And so we needed some fresh food in the neighborhood. So I offered to the Little Italy Association that I would start a farmer's market. I knew a lot of restaurateurs. I knew a lot of purveyors because I had had the the magazine and and restaurants and had gotten to know people. So they said, sure, it's your dime. Go ahead. We'll split the profits if it works out. And if not, um, sorry. (laughs) So jumped in, started a farmer's market about six months in. Uh, The board came and said, you know what? It's not that busy. We should close it down. It's going to be an embarrassment. It's never going to take off. I said, let me give it a little bit longer. Um, Here we are almost 15 years later. And the Little Italy Mercado is the largest farmer's market in San Diego County. Stretches over six city blocks. We usually have 180 tents on the street um, on any given Saturday and about 22,000 attendees. We've added a Wednesday market so that the neighbors can shop in peace without all those tons of people. (laughs) So they're a little bit happier about that. Uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up in the farmer's market world. That's, it's such a great story. I just knew bits and pieces of it, not all of it. But I have been to the San Diego farmer's market. When um, I first came for the conference, I actually got to pop up in your booth and have some of my sauces and have my book for oh, people. That's great. Yeah, yeah, and it was so cool. It was cool to be 
part of the market on that other end. But then also now, as I've come over the years, I realized that taking on too many things is not always a good idea because I had to ship all my stuff down there to do that. And now it's easier for me to just show up and chat with people. That's right. Tucks a little bit of hot sauce in her bag and pops in and tells stories. People love it. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Um, But I do love the market. It's such a good market. It's so lively. It's in a really cool setting of Little Italy. And I had never actually gone to San Diego before being part of the Farmer's Market Conference. So it's very fun. Very fun. People should check it out for sure if they're if they're in San Diego. Go to the Little Italy Farmer's Market for sure. It's a great market. And then we've worked on, um, I've worked on a lot of other markets. I've opened other markets in San Diego and then transitioned. Um, I'm usually in partnership with a business improvement district or a community association. So I've opened some other markets built them for five or six years and then transitioned other managers into those and consulted with some of the other markets here. And of course, now with Farmers Market Pros, I consult with markets all over the country and occasionally in the UK and heading up to Canada next week to talk to their Farmers Market folks. So it's been nice. Can you tell us about the requirements for getting into the Farmers Market in downtown San Diego? Yeah, so California is probably one of the most heavily regulated farmers markets and environments in the country, Um, you know, along with all the other regulations. California strongly believes that if there's a federal regulation, we would like to see it and raise it 10. So there's it's very codified here. The uh, California Department of Food and Agriculture, we operate under their direct marketing laws. So in the certified side of the market, and it's not necessarily visible to customers, but there's actually two events that happen at farmers markets in California. Um, One is the certified farmers market, which is very heavily regulated by the California Department of Food and Agriculture. And then the other vendors that cannot be touching the farmers, the farmers have to all be contiguous. The other vendors are technically in a separate associated event, which is generally regulated by the health department in whatever county the market is in. So to be in the certified farmer's market, you have to be a certified producer. This leads to a ton of confusion because every time anybody hears certified, they think organic. Certified producers are not necessarily certified organic. That's another level of both federal and state regulation that they may add on, but they don't have to. But a certified producer has been inspected by their county ag department and the ag department continually certifies them. They renew every year um, to prove that they're growing what they sell. So they can't buy anybody else's produce and resell it. We can't host anybody selling fruits, vegetables, eggs, cut flowers, herbs, nuts, a variety of other things. We can only host growers to sell those items. We can't legally host anybody reselling produce, which is great. That was kind of our tone when we went into it anyway. um, What's trickier there, and when I come to Oregon and I see the peach pies in your peach farmers booths, I'm always terribly envious because in California, producers can only sell items of their own production. So our peach farmers could not sell a peach pie unless they grew the wheat and made the butter that was in the crust. So we have very, very tight value added laws for the certified farmers, which is, I think, not necessarily the very best thing because the vendor straight across the aisle from them can sell a peach pie um, since they're not in the certified section. So I wish that we were a little bit more sensible about that. It came down, it was sort of a sledgehammer on a flea kind of thing that happened a few years ago when they were trying to make sure that nobody was reselling and that markets weren't turning into um craft fairs and things, but they're a little bit too tight in my opinion. 
But yes, that's what they do. And then each individual market manager has their own application process. Ours is all online. As part of that process, back in 2010, we started a class called Vendor 101 because we found we were spending a ton of time answering the same questions over and over and over from people that said, I'd like to be in a farmer's market. How's that work? Uh, And, you know, a percentage of those folks, after we walked them all the way through, it would start at the market and some wouldn't. So uh, both to make it more likely that new small farmers and food makers would be successful in the markets and also honestly to preserve our staff's time. We started this Spender 101 class. We walk folks through uh, business formation, how to get the various permits that California requires, um, how to do a quick feasibility study to make sure that they can charge enough for their product to make a profit, some market etiquette, some uh, packaging and labeling, both the legalities of that and the, the marketing parts of it. And then we give them a little marketing class and take them through the process of applying for markets, whether it's with us or a different market manager in San Diego County or beyond. So that's part of our application process. They're not required to take the class, but if they've never been in markets before and they apply to us, they're much more likely to get in if they take the class. We want people to arrive at the market ready to be successful. I think that's really important. Um, you know, here we have something that's a little bit similar, like in our city, which is called getting your recipe to market. And and it helps, you know, people to be able to figure out all those things if they don't quite know. And sometimes what they recommend is, um, you know, in your area to talk to the market managers to see what kind of need there is. Because sometimes, um, you know, the market managers know best what the market needs. And sometimes we have entrepreneurs that aren't exactly sure what they want to do yet. They're trying to figure it out, you know, but so they can sometimes talk to the market managers and and see what what need is there and then sort of get on the right path. We see that happen frequently, um, especially because, and I think this is true all over the country, because I do deal with a lot of market managers from all over. There are certain categories that are also uh, tend to be very saturated. Everybody mm-hmm. bakes. And so we get tons and tons of applications from people that are baking. And sometimes we'll say, well, I just have to let you know that in our markets and in these other six markets that we're really familiar with, I can tell you that nobody can take another cookie. However, there's lots of people selling hummus and dips and that kind of thing, and nobody's selling crackers. So if you can take those same skills that you would use to make a cookie and do a line of crackers, you will be welcomed into markets. Or while you're playing with that flour and other ingredients, you could make fresh pasta. There's only one vendor in the county that's making fresh pasta right now. So maybe think about that. So we that's exactly part of our program as well, Sarah, is that we suggest to people that they check in with market managers, that they go look at markets before they go any farther down the path of thinking they want to get into one, see what's at the market, see what pricing is, chat with the market manager and see what kind of things they need. Yeah. And I want to make sure that our listeners know that um, market managers are very approachable. You can go to them at the farmer's market and talk to them, or you can always, you know, send an email, but that's what I've done before. Even just when I go to other cities, I'll usually ask Kat if she knows who the market manager is in the place and reach out. I did that when I went to Palm Springs and she gave me and some friends a tour of the market, introduced us to different vendors. And it was a much different experience than if I would have just gone solo. And so now after that time, I just do that when I go around. So, you know, I'm in Astoria now. The farmer's market here is very different than the farmer's market in Portland. But it's fun to meet the people that run it and then meet the different vendors that are here. It has a very... um 
like dark arts, witchy feel at this market, which is cool. And they have a whole different set of produce because we're right by Longview. So there's lots of cranberries at the market, like tons of cranberries. And then people doing all these different things with cranberries because they, they can do that here. They can offer cranberry juice, cranberry jam, cranberry, whatever, because we have those um, laws. And I think Sarah, we've talked about it before. You probably know more about this, but isn't it the pickle act that made it so that our farmers could do that? Yeah, if you grow, you can produce, but you do have to put on your label that it was produced in a non-certified kitchen. So, but sometimes people just don't really care if they know they're getting it right from the person that is growing and processing it. We have found when they instituted our Cottage Food Act in California, we, a lot of the people in the farmer's market industry come from food service and we were very surprised actually to find out because in California, everything goes to referendum. We were very curious to find out that most customers don't care at all. If you're making food in your home kitchen, as they do not care. They're like, Oh, it's homemade. Everything's homemade. That's fine. Um, Is there a cat on the counter? We don't know. We don't care. It's um, so added fiber, right? Right. For (laughs) sure. I'm curious that it's called the pickle act though, because we do have limitations or the pickle bill. Yeah, our yeah, you can look it up. Here are um, you know limited to foods that are not potentially hazardous, and generally speaking, they won't do fermented or pickled things. Yeah, exactly. It has to be something pretty straightforward and simple. So I noticed a play on word. It's you have the intense, the farmers market, and it's like intense, but intense. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we spend so much time telling people not to give their products names that they have to spell over and over. That's very <laughs> obvious what the spelling is. And we realized about three years into our intense conference, which we thought was very clever, intense, that we every time we said it, we were spelling it <laughs> to make sure that people understood that it was intense. Get it? Uh, we tried to rebrand. That's when we we added the Farmers Market Pros brand to all of our online education and our conference. It just won't go away. For, for years and years, I was trying to call it Farmers Market Pros, and every introduction I ever got was, "This is Cat from Intense." So we just we're embracing it. Farmers Market Pros like it. classes. It uh, it manages the podcast, which is Tent Talk. Um, yeah. but the conference itself now is intense. The Farmers Market Conference, or as we like to say now, the Multinational Farmers Market Conference. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, um, we have to take a quick break, and we'll. Um, come back and we'll talk more about the conference because it's coming up soon. So we'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. All right, Kat, tell us who you want to come to your conference. How can we get people to sign up and show up? We love seeing farmers and food makers and farmers market managers. I will say that over the years, we found that the vast majority of our attendees tend to be farmers market managers. Um, Some food makers, some small farmers, some policy makers. We see a lot of those nowadays. Um, But the vast majority, I think, is farmers market managers. And so we approach our programming now more as a train the trainer kind of thing. We do keep muttering about still 
either starting a new conference just for food makers or doing some kind of an online summit just for food makers, because that was really one of my goals when I started the conference. I kept going to small farm conferences where they teach terrific sessions on converting from conventional to organic or installing a new irrigation system and would usually have one or two um, kind of sidelined sessions for farmers market managers. I was usually teaching one of them, but not much content for market managers and absolutely no content for food makers. So that really was one of our goals when we started the conference was to hit all of the participants in the market. But food makers are oftentimes smaller businesses. It's tougher for them to travel. We do pick up a few more of them now so that we've got a, since in 2020, we, um, Actually, 2020, we were live. We were one of the last live conferences because it was early that year. But 2021, we were completely virtual. And then this year, 2022, we were hybrid. So we've got a strong virtual presence as well. And we see a few more food makers that way, but we'd still like to kind of do something that specializes for them. Uh, but lots and lots of farmers market managers from all over. We have market managers that come from Australia and from the UK, and we have managers from all over the US and a ton of Canadians. We're always debating whether we just have the most amazing content or whether Canadians just really want to be in San Diego in March. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's both things. Year. I think it's, it's both. <laughs> I mean, San Diego in March is pretty perfect because I've been there it many is. times. It's so great, but it's funny when you go there. So usually when I fly there, there's snow on the ground here in Portland and I get to San Diego and it's like 70 degrees, maybe even perfect. a little hotter. And everyone's sort of apologizing for the weather. They're like, <laughs> it's so cold. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> That's right. We are very spoiled. We, we pay our paradise tax and we take full advantage of it here. <laughs> yeah. So we have three full days of session. We try to throw in a little inspiration where we talk about um, what meaningful work it is to be working in farmers markets. And then we we do a lot of nuts and bolts. How do you figure out how to set fees and what are the best ways to do marketing and what the heck is TikTok anyway? And um, how do you do a reel? And uh, how do you teach your vendors and nurture your vendors, your small farmers and your food makers and make sure that they're successful? What do you want to watch for for those kind of things? How to set a budget. Uh, what to look for when you're looking for sponsors or or um, some grant funding. We talk about that a little bit. We do have a section that Farmers Market Coalition usually joins us for to talk about the Farm Bill and nutrition incentives, EBT issues. Um, but we're also very focused on the idea that passion should meet profit, that besides being really excited about what you do, you should be able to be financially sustainable. So we work real hard to help people achieve that goal. And then it's just a lot of fun. We have t-shirts and buttons that say our job is weird um, because if you have not been a market manager, you will not exactly understand what that person does for a living. So it's really exciting for all of those folks to get together and compare notes and, and just find out how much all the weird things we encounter every day are actually quite common for everybody else that's in this business. I think that's the thing that I always love about the conference because, um, you know, your tagline kind of for the market managers is always our jobs are weird. And I think it's true, but I think that it's, you know, in Portland, we always try to normalize the weird, like we're all weird and here we are and this is it. And I feel like you guys do that too. Like, it's like, here's this, I love all the memes and things that you post on your Instagrams because it is like the craziest stuff that comes up. Like, when someone doesn't move their car and you have to either build the market around them or you have to tow the car out of there. And so it's just like one of those random things that will, you know, come up for market managers. What do you think are some of the weird things that maybe people don't know about that you do as a market manager? Well, it's really funny, actually. Even our board members in Little Italy will show up and say, so what do you have market staff for? I mean, these people just show up and set up, right? 
Well, no, not exactly. <laughs> so we are having to look at fire lanes and making sure that there's 20 feet between the booths in case a fire engine wants to run through. And we're not supposed to have pets there, but Little Italy's a very dog-friendly kind of place. And so we just post lots of signs and then don't do a thing about it because we can't. Um, there's the cars. Cars are a whole range of things, towing cars, building markets around cars, of course, that's always happening. I think our meme last week, and, and I got a shout out to Justine, who's one of our team members that is the master of memes every Friday. There's a very funny meme out, but um, showing us all squinting because it's five in the morning and it's dark and we're trying to figure out who that vendor is that's setting up on that street and are they in the place that they should be? <laughs> so there's just a lot of things that people, customers in general, seem to have the impression that the tents just rain down from the sky. I mean, it looks like camping. How hard can it be? But there's actually tons of regulations. There's a lot of thought that goes into arranging a market, trying to curate where you put certain people in the market so that they'll be near another vendor whose products might complement theirs, not putting everybody right on top of each other that does exactly the same thing, but having enough thematic logic to your aisles that people who are trained to shop in supermarkets get it and can shop easily without their minds exploding. Um, yeah, so there's a lot, there's just a lot. And then of course we're marketers and we're we're traffic control people and we're port John orderers. I, know. I was, was going to say, not only do you have to keep the peace among like vendors and shoppers and everybody, but you also have to be in charge of people have to go to the bathroom somewhere right. <laughs> so exactly. you have to either haul in a porta potty or see if you can use someone's you know some of our farmers markets will use bathrooms in certain buildings and like pay a fee or something like that but there's always like the toilets to think about that's right there's always the toilets yes and you know pet waste and just all the exciting things that happen when you're working outside in all kinds of weather on city streets yeah that's that's a lot of stuff and a lot of i bet things get weird <laughs> That's right. Our job is weird. Uh, we want to make sure that people um, know about your podcast and um, and who you would like to be listening to that podcast, what they will get from it. So let's tell people about it. Yeah. So the podcast actually is much more um, aimed at all of the members of the farmers market community. So we have a lot of listeners that are food makers and small farmers and market managers and Good to know some policymakers. We've had some outreach actually from Congress people that have said, oh, you know, I happened to somebody handed me a little round flyer and I would listen to Tent Talk. And that's interesting to know. So all of the participants of the market listen to that. Typically, we'll have maybe one episode during the month that's just the three of us talking. Um, Bridget and I are both market managers. Justine was a food vendor who is now a podcast producer and podcast host and website manager and <laughs> conference logistic person. She's a, a miracle worker. So the three of us sometimes talk about an issue and then we have guests the rest of the time. And those are typically market managers or their food makers, or we just had a crafter actually for the first time that sells at the markets, um, small farmers, somebody that's on a farmer's market board and can explain how all those folks work together to make decisions. And we talk for about 45 minutes and uh, seems to be popular. I was never a podcast listener. So I'm a reader. I'm more of a get my information through my eyes kind of person. And Justine and Bridget really thought it was a good idea to start a podcast for 
some years ago. We're now on episode 216, I think, and we actually podcast every week for all that time. And they dragged me into it a little bit, kicking and streaming. They said, it's like radio, except it's on demand. You'll be fine. I've done a lot of radio. That was good. And we've just had such a good time with it and have really expanded our reach. And it's a, we like to say it's a gateway drug to the online classes and the conference and all that. Anybody can listen to a podcast. So we, we really enjoy getting the word out there. Obviously, as you are doing, it's free content and it means that anybody can access it no matter what level they're at in the farmer's market business. And so it's been great. I'd like to say it's not really for customers, but obviously it's on Spotify and iTunes and all those places and anybody can tune in. We do occasionally have customers say that they've listened, but what we see more um, that was a little bit of a surprise for us is that a lot of small business people who are not in farmer's markets, who are just small retailers or wholesalers um, have told us how much they appreciate it. So that's been nice. I have a question for you. Do you, I'm changing the subject. Do you have musicians at your market? At this point, we have musicians that are buskers, and that's that's all. We used to, and we've never hired musicians because in California, as mentioned, um, everything's highly regulated and very litigious. Were we to hire musicians in California, we would need to make them employees. Yeah, so I was at the San Luis Obispo market, I think, last Thursday, or yeah, I think it was last Thursday, and they had great music on the ends of the... Um, that's a huge market. Have you been to that market? I have been to that market. It's the last market I was at before COVID. California. Yeah. And they had great musicians at the ends of the market. It was great. We tend to get really good musicians. We don't schedule them anymore. We used to. Um, so they had, just show up and they got their home. Yeah. They just set up. They just show up. They, uh, they there are people, a they had like a circle dancing. Yeah. It was great. There was an old guy busting a beat he was a real tall guy just old probably in his 70s he was like all over the place it was really great we love having the music and at the same time what we want is ambient music because we don't want people to stop and sit and listen to music we want people to shop oh no that's what keeps the food makers and the farmers in business it was the the portland farmers market has always had music at at the markets and especially the small markets they'll schedule them so that because they do want people to hang out there because there there's maybe only 10 or 15 booths so they want people to like hang shop eat some lunch you know whatever so they try to make it like they have chairs and everything they want people to hang um and we also used to do these really cool things at the market which was called chef in the market and they would invite um you know restaurateurs people like me just anybody chefs in town to cook and then they'd have people hang out and eat and try all the food and they would do it every week and it was probably my one of my favorite things that the market did but um since the pandemic none of that stuff has come back yet but um because we have a lot of laws about now we have about people hanging out they they don't want them to hang out but pre-pandemic they did (laughs) That's how we were during COVID. So we had at our weekday markets, we would always have chefs demos and things. And that was really effective. We would always give the chefs market money to shop from the farmers and vendors. So they'd be spreading a little money throughout the market. Mm -hmm. They would also be using those ingredients to show people what you can make with them. So it was really effective. But like you, uh, during COVID, we were told by the city in these exact terms, you cannot make it fun. So we we want people to shop and we want them to go home. We don't want them Mm -hmm. to hang out. We don't want them out of their house more than they need to be. So, and that has not come back at a lot of the weekday markets either. Yeah, that's how that's how uh, the markets here still are. I, I I hope, of course, someday they come back because it's my favorite. I love to teach people to cook. I love to feed them. It's like I would get so excited when I would do those things because I would go do them at different markets that I didn't have a stand at. I would do them on other days. Um, so hopefully someday they come back. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. I think it's fun entertainment and it and it does really get people to shop if you give them like a list of, of ingredients just from the market that they need. It's it's really fun. Um, we usually ask this question of, of our makers, which is what product tells your story best. But I'm wondering if there is um, a market item that tells your story best. Ooh, that's a good question. That is a good question. And for me, it's probably berries. And, you know, it's not a product. It's a a production item from the farmers. And the reason I say that is because the the reason I'm in this work after all these years, um, I am a serial entrepreneur. Usually I was good for about five years in any business or undertaking. And then I was out either I'd sell the business or I'd kill it to get away from it um, so that I could go on to the next thing. And markets are interesting enough and changing enough. And there's so many aspects that I've been in this a long time, but the reason I'm in it is because I honestly believe that farmers are much more likely, especially small farmers, to stay in business if they can sell direct to consumers. And I am seriously concerned that my nine grandchildren will get to a point in their lives where they don't know what a real strawberry tastes like or a real peach. Um, Because we've commodified food, the grocery stores have made a priority out of hybridizing food to become durable and to become easily packed because it's all the same size as opposed to flavor. Um, it's an old, old movie. And and Sarah, you're probably too young, at least one of you, Sarah's, um, to remember Soylent Green. But there's a scene. It's human. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Okay, way to spoiler alert. But, <laughs> but also there's Edgar G. Robinson, who is trying his dying wish is to taste a strawberry again because he remembers that from when he was a child. Yeah. And my grandkids now can very clearly identify the difference between an apple they get at the farmer's market and one they get from a store. Same thing with bear. Uh, the yeah. freshness of food affects its taste enormously. And I want the next generations to be able to access that kind of food. And I believe that farmers markets give farmers a, a leg up in terms of finances and that it will enable them to keep farming. And I'm afraid if we don't do that, if we don't start watching it a little more closely, that we're going to lose farmers and we're all going to end up eating goop. Ooh. And I'm riding around in wheelchairs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're doing all the things to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I think that it's wonderful and great. And I'm I'm glad that you picked berries because I do think that that's one of the things that as soon as we go to San Diego, we get there and my daughter is like, we have to get berries because, you know, we're like eight months from berries from up here. And then citrus is a big one that we don't have up here that we always get when we're there. So I always get kumquats, berries, and then avocados because we don't mm-hmm. have Yeah. So I'm spending part of my time in Philly now. I'm part of time in San Diego and part of my time in Philly. And one and one of my older grandsons came out a few months ago while I was in Philly and we went to the market as one does. And he said, where are all the oranges? And why can't I get an avocado? Because, you know, it's a very instructive for him that, yes, we're overflowing with that stuff in San Diego and in Arizona where he lives full time. Um, But in Pennsylvania, not array of different kinds of apples, which is wonderful. It's not just the three top sellers that we've kind of hybridized things down to amazing apples, but oranges and lemons and not so much, not so much. Um, so they, they probably sell Philly cheesesteaks there at their <laughs> farmer's market. They do. Yeah. You know, Philadelphia markets actually don't have any prepared food. It's an interesting oh, thing. Oh, yeah. They've got a whole different kind of model there. Interesting. Yeah. 
Um, we like to ask our guests what a typical day would be like for you. I think that this will be, it'll be weird because <laughs> that's your job, but what's a typical day like for a market manager? So a typical day, if it's the market day, we're up super, super early and we're out there um, marking certain parts of the street that have to be identified freshly every Saturday. Many of the vendors at this point know where to go, um, but some of them don't. We've got booths that wind around fire lanes, so they're out in the middle of the street. We set a lot of barricades. We put a little chalk on the ground that we will have to suck up later because you can't let chalk go into the ocean in San Diego. It's a stormwater issue. Uh, we direct especially new farmers and vendors or people that have new staff members to where their booth is. Uh, about the time a third of them are set up, usually the sun's coming up, which is lovely. And then we keep doing that and pushing people back against the curb when they need to be and make sure the porta potties are in the right spot. And we welcome each team member in and assign them a section of the market to watch. And then throughout the day, we are posting and reposting uh, Instagram things that extend to Facebook. And we're watching for uh, unhomed citizens that are having a tough time. Sometimes we're right down in a very, very urban area. So we need to watch that, make sure they get fed, but that they don't um, rile up other shoppers. And we're watching for dogs with long leashes that might be trip hazards. <laughs> and we're checking in with our farmers and vendors to make sure they're doing okay and that they're feeling good. And depending on the weather, how, how things are going for them. And we're picking up trash, lots and lots of trash, and we're answering questions in the information booth, and we're giving people a snap EBT script and doubling that when possible. And gosh, and then the day starts to wind down and we do it all in reverse. And then just like Brigadoon, you look and it's gone. <laughs> so now, it and and there's not anymore. Do celebrities ever show up at your farmer's market? Uh, we've got a bachelor and bachelorette group couple that shows up frequently. I don't recognize them, but Bridget does. Um, we've had a fair amount of chefs come through. I was at the market in D.C., one of the markets in D.C. not too long ago, and Jose Andres was there, and I was very excited. Uh, uh, if anybody knows him and can get him to come to the intense conference, let me know. I understand he's got his hands full <laughs> most of the time with bigger things. Um, but we do see a lot of chefs at the market, and we see some Southern California celebrities that are day tripping down from L.A. that pop through. That's the fun. Yeah. It's a good time. Uh, at one point, you were talking about taking the um, Farmers Market Pro Conference on the road. Is that still on the table? It is still on the table. I think we're probably going to do something back east before too long. It's been interesting spending time in Philly to find out that the markets back there take you a little bit more seriously when you're not just a Californian. They, they, they are suspicious <laughs> of Californians back on that side of the country. So I have talked to a market organizer um, in D.C., in fact, who would really like us to do at least a short version of the conference back there, maybe mid-year. Um, and then we're thinking very seriously of doing an on-the-road the show just for food makers, where I think it needs to be a little bit shorter. Uh, it needs to be closer to their area. So maybe we can do a one day thing and and get a tour bus and get it rolling around. I would like to do something in the Northwest, actually. Yeah, well, we would, can host it. Yeah, that would be super fun. I um, before the pandemic, I remember you talking about it, and then I was like, oh, I hope it comes back. <laughs> I want to, I want to go on the road with the Farmers Market Conference. <laughs> I'll come back. Um, I've got a terrific operations manager now at the markets, and I am one more time. I tried to do this uh, in 2020. Was going to be sort of my last year on the street every Saturday. I'm not on the street every Saturday anymore. Alicia is definitely there, and I would say another year or so, and I can probably again try to make sure I get out of the markets, barring any new pandemics or excitement that require me to hang around a little longer and figure 
figure things out. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm out at a lot of other people's conferences right now, talking to them. I'll be in Canada um, for the BC Farmers Market Conference in early November. You This may come out after that. Uh, and I'm at a lot of conferences throughout the year. And then uh, the big public market conference for Project for Public Spaces, which is next June in Toronto, will be up there. So mm-hmm. it's fun to get out and talk to other people that are doing this work. That's cool. And, and just for our listeners, because um, I know Kat mentioned it, but just so you know, for the Farmers Market Conference, if you go to the uh, Farmers Market Pros website, you can register to go in person in San Diego, but you can also um, register to do it virtually. So if like travel is hard for you or as a new maker, I know it seems in pay from your business. So you can still do it virtually. And I really like that aspect of That's it. That's true. It has and it's been really been nice. Case. We found that it's expanded our reach a lot. I just got a whole packet of information from somebody that did a big tent ticket. So you can buy one ticket that's good for 10 people in your same organization or market, and then you can get together and watch it together and and then chat amongst yourselves since you missed that face-to-face thing that you would get in coming to San Diego. And we got really, really good reports and reviews um, from those folks about how much they liked the online conference. We have a great facilitator that manages that so that folks watching at home can throw questions at the speaker and we kind of field them from the, the computer. And it's nice. We try to make a big effort to make sure that our virtual attendees are also really involved. Of course, you don't yeah. get to go to the beach and have a drink at sunset. I do think it's so great to do it in person because I've met a lot of wonderful people, a, a lot of wonderful women, I will say. A lot of your speakers are just these really amazing, powerful women. And I love going there and meeting them. We've had quite a few people that I've met at your conference be guests on the show because I, I want to just like keep connecting all these great makers. But I think if you can go in person, it's really great. It is an awesome time. And there are a lot of women in this industry. Um, We've made very specific efforts to make sure that we include people of color and different um, types and different cultural aspects of markets. And we actually have gotten to the point where oftentimes when we're putting together our schedule, we'll look at it and say, whoo, we're a little out of balance. We got to find a white guy (laughs) to talk about something. (laughs) That's an envious enviable place to be, I think. I think we've got a nice balance of speakers. So, um, We always like to ask our guests what they need from, um, from your community, from our community. What can we do to help support your farmers markets and your business? Um, the very first thing you can do to help support farmers markets is shop at them. That's mm-hmm. extremely important. Wherever you are in the world, shop at your local farmers market, get out there, get to know your farmer. The money that you pay a farmer goes right in their pocket. The money that you pay at a big grocery store is split among a lot of people trying to earn a living from that same piece of fruit. So shop at farmers markets for sure. Um, come to the conference, listen to Tent Talk. Those are all good things for us. And if anybody knows Jose Andres or maybe Michelle Obama and can talk them into coming to speak at the conference, we'll be best buds. <laughs> we always try to um, tweet at people to see if we can get them connected. So we'll we'll give it a go. Right. Give it a go. <laughs> if anybody can do it, Sarah Marshall can. That's what I'm thinking. Somebody I'll do my knows best. Somebody knows somebody. Right. I'll, I'll always at least try, you know, so right. Why not? degrees of separation, right? That's right. Amazing. <laughs> and then um, do you have any advice for people who are currently dreaming up a business? Well, I mean, the obvious thing for me to say would be take Vendor 101, because we do say that there's two good outcomes from that class. And whether it's Vendor 101 or any other good incubator kind of program, and I think y'all may do something like this. I know that there's some others floating around. Um 
do get that education, do get the background before you start, because there's, we say there's one or two outcomes to our Vendor 101 program, and this is going to be true of any type of program like that. Um, and the first good outcome is that you learn what it takes to get started and you determine that you really can make a living selling your product and you know how to get the permits and you know how to move forward. And then the other perfectly good outcome is that you find out that job's not for you. That that's not what you want to do with your passion, that it's more, it's a little bit more complicated and a little bit more expensive to get started than you thought that it was. And that maybe you want to do something else. Maybe you want to keep making that product for your family, or maybe you want to make it as a specialty that pops up once a year. Um, you may find out that farmer's market life is just too much. And that's okay, too. That's another good outcome without spending two years of your life and a whole bunch of savings finding it out. We like you to go get that education and make sure that this is the right fit for you. And can people take your Vendor 101 class online as well? They sure can. Yep. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. You can find that at farmersmarketpros.com as well. Um, actually, we've got, we're working with a lot of groups in different states right now to kind of white label their own Vendor 101 program and add some specifics about their permits and things. So anybody can sign up now and we make sure that you get that information that's relative to you wherever you are geographically. Perfect. That's great. Well, unfortunately, ladies, this is the part that I hate, which is that I have to tell you we're out of time. All right, then. <laughs> I think we crammed a lot in. I think so, too. I'm so glad, Kat, that you could be on the show. I'm excited for people to connect with you and come to the conference and be part of your world. So thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks Thank for having you. me. <laughs> Thank you. We record Missoni and Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes, Stitcher. And Sarah, we're on a new one. Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can DM us on our Instagram, Missoni and Marshall. And we will be back next week. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.